With the Democrats in control of both the White House and the Congress, we were held accountable yesterday. The elections are now behind us. The Congresswoman's party won. Some election nights are more fun than others. Uh, obviously, Republicans had a good night. The midterm election cycles occur within the middle of a U.S. president's administration and determine control of the U.S. Congress for at least the next two years. In some cases, the party in power enjoys gains, such as in 2002 when Republicans took back the Senate and made pickups in the House thanks to a boost in President George W. Bush's popularity following the 9-11 tragedies. However, in most cases, the midterms serve as a grueling surprise for the incumbent president. This year, Democrats hope history will benefit them, as they hope to make gains in order to stop President Trump's agenda in the upcoming 116th Congress. Here are four of the most brutal midterm elections for the party in power from history. Nineteen ninety four. Prior to the nineteen ninety four midterms, Republicans found themselves in a tricky position. For the first time in twelve years, they had lost the White House. The grand old party was dazed and confused as their president, George Herbert Walker Bush, had failed to secure his reelection bid just two years prior. Republicans were devastated. Without a Congress or a presidency, they appeared out of power. But little did Republicans know the bright future that lay ahead of them. Something is wrong with our health care system and that it needs to be fixed. The Clinton Health Care Act of 1993 was a proposed measure by Bill Clinton in his 1992 presidential campaign. The idea, which was heavily pioneered by then First Lady Hillary Clinton, attempted to provide universal affordable health care to Americans. The proposal caught the eye of many Republicans. But this was covered under our old plan. Oh yeah, that was a good one, wasn't it? Things are changing, and not all for the better. The government may force us to pick from a few health care plans designed by government bureaucrats. Having choices we don't like is no choice at all. If they choose, we lose. For reforms that protect what we have, call toll-free. Know the facts. If we let the government choose, we lose. Call today. Republicans took advantage of the plan, lambasting it as a socialist manifesto that would destroy the healthcare industry. The plan alienated centrist Democrats, but that wasn't the only problem that Democrats would face. Changing demographics made it harder for Democrats to win in the upcoming midterm elections, and Republicans took advantage of this. here because we are taking the first steps and we're taking them in a contract with the American people. House Minority Whip Newt Gingrich, Republican from Georgia, proposed what became known as the Contract with America. The contract, amongst other things, promised committee term limits and ethics reforms while avoiding having to discuss divisive issues such as abortion and prayer in schools. The plan was lambasted by President Clinton, but six weeks later, Democrats would be in for a big surprise, and not the good kind. In the Senate, where Democrats held a solid 57 to 43 majority, Republicans gained nine seats. In Arizona, where incumbent Democrat Dennis DeConchi was forced to retire due to a scandal, Republican Congressman John Kyle handedly defeated Democratic Congressman Sam Coppersmith. 
in Maine, where Senate Majority Leader George Mitchell decided to retire. Republican Congresswoman Olympia Snow, who previously served as First Lady of the state, won in a blowout, defeating Democratic Congressman Tom Andrews. In Ohio, where Democrat Howard Metzenbaum retired, Lieutenant Governor Mike DeWine easily made a gain, taking down businessman Joel Hyatt. In Oklahoma, where a special election was held to replace David Boren, who resigned to become president of Oklahoma University, Republican Congressman James Inhofe took down Democratic Congressman Dave McCurdy. Both seats in Tennessee were up that year, and both flipped from blue to red. Incumbent Democratic Senator Jim Sasser, who many viewed as the next Senate Majority Leader for the Democrats, lost his seat to Republican Bill Frist. Ironically, Frist would go on to become the next Senate Majority Leader for the Republicans in future years. A special election for Vice President Al Gore's former seat was now vacant, and Republican Fred Thompson managed to take down Democratic Congressman Jim Copper in a landslide. In Pennsylvania, incumbent Democratic Senator Harris Wufford narrowly lost his seat to Republican Congressman Rick Santorum, and in Michigan, where incumbent Democratic Senator Donald Regal retired, former Michigan Republican Party Chair Spencer Abraham defeated Democratic Congressman Bob Carr. Some vulnerable seats stayed blue. In California, incumbent Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein defeated Republican Congressman Mike Huffington, the now ex-husband of Ariana Huffington the founder of HuffPost, in a tough battle. Feinstein still resides in the Senate to this day. In New Jersey, incumbent Democrat Frank Lautenberg narrowly took down Republican Assembly Leader Chuck Hatton. And in Virginia, where Democratic incumbent Chuck Robb, one of the most vulnerable incumbents that year, managed to squeak by thanks to his Republican opponent Oliver North's connections to the Iran-Contra scandal. The only seat where Republicans came close to losing was in Minnesota, where incumbent Republican Senator David Durenberger decided to retire in a state won by both Clinton and Michael Dukakis. However, Republican Congressman Rod Grams managed to take down Democratic challenger Ann Wyona in a narrow fight. Republicans now held a 53-47 to 47 majority in the Senate. Bob Dole became their new majority leader. In the governor's races, the GOP made gains in Idaho, Wyoming, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Tennessee, Alabama, Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. Democrats managed to pick up one seat from an independent in Alaska. In the House, Republicans gained 54 seats even defeating Democratic Speaker Tom Foley, Republicans now held a 230 to 204 majority there. There was no question who the Republicans would choose as their speaker. Gingrich easily got the job. And I accept my share of the responsibility in the result of the elections. The wins put Bill Clinton in a tough position. Now he had to work with the Republican Congress and negotiate in order to avoid a lame duck presidency. 
His promise for socialized health care was now a pipe dream. The race shook the political world and became dubbed as the Republican Revolution. The election would define the direction of the country for the next 12 years. Until... 2006. Republicans now had everything they wanted. The House, the Senate, and the Presidency. In 2002, President George W. Bush managed to break history as his party enjoyed multiple gains in the midterms, even taking back the U.S. Senate thanks to solid approval numbers following the 9-11 attacks. In 2004, Bush won re-election while the GOP gained seats in the U.S. Senate, even managing to unseat Democratic Senate Minority Leader Tom Daschle in South Dakota. But as 2006 rolled around, it became clear that Bush and the Republicans were running out of luck. He's pulling a weapon right now. Is he? It looks like it. I'm shooting. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. He wants to reinvade the country. All these ideas and proposals, the time has passed. The Iraq war was raging on, and Bush's approval numbers were dropping, to the point where even many conservatives became disenfranchised with the Congress and the administration in the White House. With an unpopular president, an unpopular war, and an alienated base, it seemed the party of Lincoln had finally met its match. Their Republican revolution was over. And now the GOP was skating on thin ice. For a season of discontent for voters, Democrats hope so. They're trying to capitalize on public dissatisfaction with the war in Iraq and the way President Bush is handling it. Going into the race, Republicans had a solid 55 to 44 majority in the Senate, but that majority was now in risk. In Ohio, Democratic Congressman Sherrod Brown handily took down incumbent Republican Mike DeWine. In Pennsylvania, Democratic State Treasurer Bob Casey easily took down incumbent Republican Senator Rick Santorum. In Rhode Island, incumbent Republican Senator Lincoln Chafee lost his seat to former Democratic State Treasurer Sheldon Whitehouse in spite of solid approval numbers. In Missouri, a hotly contested race between incumbent Republican Jim Talent and Democratic State Auditor Claire McCaskill ended with McCaskill winning. In Montana, Democratic State Senate President John Tester took down longtime incumbent Conrad Burns. And in Virginia, a race that was not called for quite a while closed with Republican-turned-Democrat Jim Webb defeating incumbent Republican Senator George Allen. This led to a 49-49 tie. In most cases, Vice President Dick Cheney would break all ties. But in order for this to happen, Republicans would need at least 50 seats in the Senate. The two independents, Bernie Sanders in Vermont and Joe Lieberman in Connecticut, agreed to caucus with the Democrats. This gave Democrats a narrow 51-49 majority. Harry Reid became Senate Majority Leader. Interestingly, none of the Democratic pickups in the Senate were open seats, implying that the election may have been an anti-incumbent wave as well as an anti-Republican wave. Democrats attempted to pick up a seat in Tennessee where Majority Leader Bill Frist left the seat open, but fell short as Democratic Congressman Harold Ford narrowly lost to Republican Bob Corker. In the House, Democrats gained 31 seats, giving them a majority. 
Nancy Pelosi became the first female speaker in history. And uh, we are now projecting officially that Democrats win control of the House. Democrats gained governorships in Colorado, Arkansas, Ohio, New York, Massachusetts, and Maryland. Policy. Do we as Americans need a serious talk? There is, no matter how you feel about President George W. Bush, you must know by now that he believes what he's saying. And I, I think there are a few on either side of the political fence who would say anything other than when he says he believes this comes down to civilization here, he means it. Does someone need to look the American public in the eye with that in mind and say, this is a call. This, it's time to step up and realize what the cost of a loss is in the war on terror. If you lose the war on terror, you lose the civilization as we know it. That's what he said. That's what he believes. Have we been properly motivated? Have we been told it's time to stand up and sacrifice for this nation and for this way of life? Or have they just been rhetorical overloads? Who talks and what do they say? And is the Senate gone? Stay tuned. Republicans gained no seats in the Senate, no governorships, and in a rare turn of events, zero seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. The aftershock of the midterms would tarnish what was left of the Bush presidency. Now, Republicans were almost completely out of power. They had nothing left except the White House. But in two years, Democrats were in for a sizable win that no one could have ever predicted. Now is the time to act. Now is the time to say, yes, we can. Two thousand and ten. The Republican Party was now in shambles. Barack Obama was the president, and Democrats held a sizable majority in the House, as well as a filibuster-proof supermajority in the Senate. Democrats finally saw the opportunity to pass legislation for socialized Medicare, revisiting Bill Clinton's failed plan. And with a 60-40 to 40 supermajority, they now had the votes to do so. Obama's proposed plan, the Affordable Care Act, was met with polarized reactions across the country. Many praised the plan, arguing that health care is a human right. Others lambasted it, mocking, mockingly dubbing it as Obamacare. Still, there was nothing Republicans could do as they were in the political wilderness. However, there were some signs which indicated a glimmer of hope for the GOP. In the fall of 2009, as Obama's first year came to a close, Republicans gained governorships in Virginia and New Jersey, states Obama carried in 2008. But the biggest upset was yet to come. You've said you're for health care reform, just not this bill. Right. Uh, we know from the Clinton experience that if this bill fails, it could well be another 15 years uh, before we see health care reform efforts again in Washington. Are you willing under those circumstances to say, I'm going to be the person, I'm going to sit in Teddy Kennedy's seat, and I'm going to be the person that's going to block it for another 15 years? Well, with all due respect, it's not the Kennedy seat, and it's not the Democrat seat, it's okay. the people's seat. On August 25th, 2009, Massachusetts Senator Ted Kennedy, the brother of former President John F. Kennedy, died from brain cancer. A special election was held in early 2010. Now, there's been a lot said in this race about how it's not the Kennedy seat. It's the people's seat. And let me tell you, the first person who would agree with that was Ted Kennedy. Democratic State Attorney General 
Martha Cogley ran for the seat, but faced challenge from a charismatic competitor. My name is Scott Brown, and I'm running for the United States Senate. State Senator Scott Brown hoped to be the first Republican in nearly 40 years to win a seat in an overwhelmingly blue state. The race went down to the wire, and Obama campaigned vigorously for Coakley. However, on January 19, 2010... That the AP is now projecting that Scott Brown is the winner of the Massachusetts United States Senate race. Scott Brown had won the election in an upset. He was now the first Republican in over 20 years to represent Massachusetts in Congress. The wind sent chills down the president's spine. With Brown now in, they no longer had a supermajority, meaning it would be harder for Democrats to pass health care reform. But that was only the tip of the iceberg. If Republicans could win in a state where both Obama and Kerry managed to win every single county, they could win anywhere. Republicans began to target more seats in the Senate. In spite of this, however, the Affordable Care Act still went on to pass through Congress. But Democrats were now in even greater peril. It became apparent that their large majority in the Senate was now in even bigger jeopardy. But even more vulnerable was the House, where Republicans were on track to make even greater gains. Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker became extremely unpopular across the country, influencing Republicans to launch an attack ads against Democrats, linking them to Pelosi. Pennsylvania can send Nancy Pelosi a message or send her Mark Kritz. Ben Chandler votes with Pelosi's leadership 94% of the time. Call John Spratt. Tell him to represent South Carolina and not Nancy Pelosi. To make matters worse, their leader in the Senate, Harry Reid, was in a brutal battle for re-election. Adding insult to injury, they were losing their independent demographic, and like with the Clinton Health Care Act, Republicans were able to use the act to their advantage, persuading conservative Democrats to vote Republican, and once again, painting it as a socialist manifesto. But more importantly, a new movement had re-energized Republicans. You know, if media's not doing its job, if government is just taking over every single thing it can, and we now have an unfettered liberal, the radical left, has got control of the process. If you're looking for freedom, if you're looking for liberty, you have to take to the streets. There's no doubt that the grassroots Tea Party energy is stirring Republican hopes and dreams for big gains in Congress this November. The Tea Party, which was created in response to controversial policies enacted by President Obama, embraced the most populist aspects of the Republican Party, which had been brought out by Sarah Palin in the 2008 election. Afro-Leninism coming to you on a silver platter. Barack Hussein Obama. He ain't right, President people. Going into the night, Democrats held a 59 to 41 majority in the Senate, but Republicans were on track to make major gains. Um, the teabaggers are all carrying the banner, really, of corporatist America. We talked about it on our show Friday. Um, somehow their agenda as a populist organization is the exact same agenda as billionaires like Steve Forbes. In North Dakota, where Democratic Senator Byron Dorgan retired, popular Governor John Hoven vanquished Democratic state lawmaker Tracy Potter picking up the seat for the GOP. In Indiana, where Evan Bayh retired, 
The former Republican Senator Dan Coats made a comeback, taking down Congressman Brad Ellsworth, a blue dog Democrat. In Arkansas, once a Democratic stronghold, Congressman John Boozman easily unseated incumbent Blanche Lincoln, making him the first Republican in 138 years to hold that seat. In Pennsylvania, where longtime moderate Republican Arlen Specter switched parties hoping to keep his seat, Congressman Joe Sestak defeated him in the primaries in spite of an endorsement from the president. Sestak narrowly lost to former Congressman Pat Toomey. In an upset in Wisconsin, longtime Democratic sweetheart Russ Feingold lost his seat to political newcomer Ron Johnson in a narrow race in spite of solid approval Some numbers. seats stay blue, like Patty Murray's seat in Washington State, where she fought a tough battle with State Senator Dino Rossi. Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid also managed to hold on, defeating former state lawmaker Sharon Engel. Republicans made many gains in the Senate, but ultimately Democrats kept a 53-47 to 47 majority. In the governor's races, Republicans made more gains winning in Wyoming, New Mexico, Kansas, Oklahoma, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Maine, Tennessee, and Florida. Democrats also made gains, but only in states Obama and Kerry won overwhelmingly, like Hawaii, California, Minnesota, Vermont, and Connecticut. In Rhode Island, Lincoln Chafee, who previously served as a Republican in the Senate, was elected governor as an independent. He later became a Democrat during his time in office. And in the House... CNN is now ready to make a major projection. Uh, the Republicans will take control of the House of Representatives. Bill, uh, obviously a big moment for Republicans. Yeah, it's a great moment for us. Uh, goodbye, Speaker Pelosi. Goodbye, Chairman Frank. When you look at the races that they are picking up, you're seeing the Republicans in the Senate shift to the right, which is what the Tea Party movement largely wanted. John Boehner is going to be a speaker, the likes of which we haven't seen since Tip O'Neill. Republicans gained a historic 63 seats, reclaiming their majority. They now held 242 seats, compared to the Democrats' 193 seats. John Boehner became Speaker of the House. In spite of huge losses in the House, this midterm wasn't as detrimental as it could be to the President and the Democratic Party. Democrats still held a majority in the Senate and still made gains in governor's races, even if they were only in blue states. Two years later, Obama would survive the wave, and get re-elected to a second term while making gains in the House and Senate. But the worst of the Democrats' problems were still yet to come. President Obama has won a second term as President of the United States. It's, uh, it's a remarkable victory, and I must say uh, it is a tribute to the strategists on President Obama's campaign team. Two thousand and fourteen. With Democrats now having a fifty-five to forty-five majority, all seemed right in the Democratic Party. But as the final two years of Obama's presidency approached, Democrats hoped to solidify the president's legacy with a united Democratic Congress. With a Republican House and a Democratic Senate, effective legislation became scarce as gridlock ran through Washington 
But as the midterms grew closer, it became apparent that the map would be hard Democrats this time around. The fate of the Senate rested in states that Mitt Romney and John McCain won overwhelmingly, states where Obama was unpopular. Republicans attempted to link certain Democrats to Obama, releasing ads tying vulnerable incumbents to the president. Prior sides with Obama 90% of the time. Mark Begich votes with Obama 97% of the time. Senator Mary Landers says she puts you first, but she votes with Obama 97% of the time. Instead, Democrats sent a different voice to campaign for Democrats in Republican states. Mark Pryor and Mike Ross both served in Congress and they proved they were together politicians. I've looked at the numbers. It'll be fine. It just depends on how much you care. Democrats saw a glimmer of hope when their party managed to win back the governorship in Virginia. But with Republicans gaining more momentum, Democrats braced for another hard-fought year. We are coming on the air right now because ABC News can now project that Republicans will take control of the Senate. In Montana, where incumbent Democrat Max Baucus retired, Republican Congressman Steve Daines easily defeated state lawmaker Amanda Curtis in a three-way race to replace retiring incumbent Democrat Tim Johnson, Democrat Rick Wyland, and former Republican-turned-independent Senator Larry Pressler were both taken down by former Republican Governor Mike Rounds. In West Virginia, Republican Congresswoman Shelley Moore Capito ousted Democratic State Secretary of State Natalie Tennant in a blowout, replacing outgoing Senator Jay Rockefeller. In Iowa, little-known state Senator Joni Ernst defeated Congressman Bruce Braley, replacing Tom Harkin thanks to a viral ad garnering national attention. I'm Joni Ernst. I grew up castrating hogs on an Iowa farm. The race saw a record number of incumbents lose. In Arkansas, Congressman Tom Cotton easily unseated incumbent Mark Pryor. In Louisiana, longtime incumbent Mary Landrau was taken down by Bill by Congressman Bill Cassidy. In Alaska, incumbent Mark Begich narrowly failed to secure re-election, losing to Dan Sullivan. In North Carolina, Tom Tillis unseated incumbent Kay Hagan despite trailing in the polls. In Colorado, an Obama state, the incumbent Mark Udall suffered a brutal loss to Congressman Cory Gardner. One state Democrats thought they could flip, Georgia, stayed in Republican hands. David Perdue defeated Michelle Nunn. Even Virginia, a state most thought Democrats would easily win, went to incumbent Democrat Mark Warner by a mere point over former RNC chair Ed Gillespie in spite of a giant lead for Warner in the polls. Some seats Democrats held on to, like in New Hampshire, where Democrat Janine Shaheen managed to narrowly hold on to her seat, defeating Scott Brown. But the effect of the elections went far beyond just the Senate. Republicans added to their House majority, picking up 13 seats. In the governor's races, Republicans picked up Arkansas, as well as a number of reliably blue states like Massachusetts, Maryland, and Illinois. The outcome of the midterms marked a turning point for the president. Now, Republicans had complete control of Congress, and he had become a lame duck president. Obama was now at the home stretch. His presidency was ending, and with Republican victories all over the country, a populist wave was coming in two years.
where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. Me, he's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war Five hero. and a half years. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? You could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, blood coming out of her wherever. She was off base. He hit my hands. Nobody has ever hit my hands. I've never heard of this one. Look at those hands. Are they small hands? <laughs> and he referred to my hands. If they're small, something else must be small. I guarantee you there's no problem. I guarantee. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. Twenty eighteen and beyond. That leads us to two thousand and eighteen. Since the surprise victory of Donald Trump in the 2016 presidential election, much speculation has arisen about how the midterms will affect Trump's presidency. As the elections draw near, Democrats hope history can benefit them. Folks, we have come so far. We have come so far and the people of Alabama has, have spoken. Democrats have already seen their fair share of special election wins, like in Alabama where Democrat Doug Jones upset controversial Republican Roy Moore. They also managed to win back the governorship in New Jersey. Now Democrats hope to pick up more seats. Okay, here's the thing. Um, I'll try to be brief. The people actually voted for the and I said, well, in either case, it's little drops of water. And there are many of them. How many are waiting? How many more? A tsunami. But they're all close. They're all very, very close. These are many close races. I think if the election were today, we would win the majority. I don't know how much water would be involved, but I know we would win the majority. In the House, Democrats need 23 seats to take back their majority. 25 congressional districts with Republican incumbents were won by Hillary Clinton in 2016. Democrats see ripe opportunities in that area. In the Senate, Republicans hope to make gains, targeting Democratic seats in Florida, North Dakota, Missouri, Montana, West Virginia, and Indiana. Democrats hope to upset in the Senate by winning in Republican states such as Nevada, Arizona, Texas, and Tennessee. In the governor's races, Nevada, Colorado, New Hampshire, Kansas, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Georgia, Florida, Ohio, Iowa, Alaska, Wisconsin, and Maine are all expected to be competitive. With just a few days before the contentious and unique elections occur, Donald Trump hopes his party can gain enough momentum to ride a red wave to victory. Can the Republicans break history yet again and outperform expectations, or will multiple Republicans be sent out of Washington come January? With the stakes higher than ever, will Donald Trump survive the midterms, or will history be repeated yet again? Thanks again for uh, listening, guys. This was my first uh, podcast special. I Obviously, I wanted to get this out before the midterms to kind of 
give you a sense of what happened in, in past years. Um, make sure to give this a like. Make sure to share this. We, you know, get this, uh, this podcast out here. I, I worked a long time on this and I had to delay it. It was supposed to come out in October, but I had to delay it. Uh, so uh, make sure to give this a like. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you guys again for, for listening. Um, and make sure to stay tuned this week, uh, because, uh, this week I'm going to be doing a number of different, uh, videos or different podcasts, uh, discussing the, uh, midterms. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to give an analysis. We're going to have an election day special for politics weekly, uh, this Tuesday, and if you haven't watched, uh, listened to any episodes of Politics Weekly yet, uh, make sure to do that. They're available right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other different networks, obviously, Anchor as well, uh, on the Nolan Cleary Network, so make sure to listen to those, uh, and thank you all again for, uh, your support.